Hey, welcome to Night School, March 2020. It's been a few weeks, a couple weeks, I don't know how long it's been. I was sick, I got sick about a week and a half ago, and ended up just being a cold. And uh, I was in this deep fog, sickest I'd been in a while. And I've had this habit the last couple of years of doing episodes while I'm sick and going through you know, the whole, uh, kind of making fun of, of the fact that I'm advertising it. Because sometimes that's a, a plea for sympathy or a plea for attention, you know, just letting the world know you're sick. Uh, I was, you know, I was going to joke around about it and all that. And, you know, I'm not opposed to joking around about being sick, but it has changed. The topic of sickness has changed substantially in the last week, it feels like, at least in this part of the world. And I'm a little bit sick again, where I, I felt like I was getting substantially better. And then today I just feel weak and not very good again in a different way. And naturally, I'm anxious about it with everything going on. Uh, but it, with that anxiety, I feel like I need to do something and I can't focus. So I should just record an episode while I still have the energy tonight. But it's a strange situation because I, I really feel like Rip Van Winkle, where having this cold last week, I was just totally out of it. I was paying attention to things here or there, and I kind of half-jokingly told people, oh, you know, it's not corona. And I was sort of peripherally aware of this growing hysteria over corona. And then I wake up out of this fog that I was in for a few days, and this is a very real issue that's all of a sudden pressing. And that's a, a weird... It's like waking up in an alternate dimension. It's very much the same place, but there's something slightly different. That's how it feels. And uh, you know, and, and while I was sick, too, it was very surreal, too, because I was very much out of it. You know, My connection to reality was just a little more removed than normal. And I had to remind myself, oh, yeah, your mom's dead. You know, you're sick. You got sick. And, you know, sickness, you know, from the time you're a kid, you associate that with your mother. You know, even when you're an adult and you don't live at home, you, it's still one of those things you typically tell your mom. You tell them, you know, oh, I'm sick right now. And you get that love from afar. So it was strange getting sick for the first time and just having to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's that's not a part of this anymore. Um, but then waking up and then just with there being this, uh, you know, mass, I don't want, know if I want to call it a hysteria, because hysteria seems to imply that it's not justified or that people are overreacting, and hopefully they are. Hopefully people are overreacting, but, you know, being, I, I wouldn't be the best person to talk about this, and I'm hesitant to talk about it anyway, because I don't like this show to be too related to current events. I don't... I don't like this show to immediately date itself by talking about current events because it kind of reminds me of watching old sitcoms where they'll, they'll reference things that were going on at that time, usually big issues. They'll make jokes about political situations that were going on, say, in the 1970s. And when you rewatch it, you can kind of appreciate the fact that it was trying to be topical for its era, but it's dated. It's very dated. Movies and TV uh, are often guilty of that, where they'll make current event references, and just instantly that's dated. Uh, so I try to avoid doing that with this show, and especially as a podcast fan, there are many podcasts where if I don't listen for two weeks, if I miss episodes of a podcast for two weeks, and then I revisit one from two weeks previous, and they're talking about something that was current as of that week, 
it's not of interest to me, you know. Sometimes if you listen back to things that were going on years ago, it's kind of interesting to hear what someone's take was then. But still, that idea of instantly dating yourself by talking about a current event uh, isn't something I want to do. But I think this goes beyond current events. I think this goes into the very nature of existence, this current corona um, pandemic, as they're calling it. And every time I hear the word pandemic, I think pandemonium. Uh, pandemonium is what comes to mind, of course, the same prefix to the word. Obviously, they're related. But with this going on, you know, I, I keep thinking about faith and the idea of something being a test of faith. And I don't see this as a test of faith. Because to me, faith is the backdrop, and there might be a stage, and there might be something playing out on that stage. Suffering, fear, all of these things that we try to avoid, these things that we are averse toward, averse to, however you say that. Averse toward? Can you be adverse toward something? Because you're kind of turning away from it. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, these things that we try to avoid, you know, fear and suffering, but yet we obsess over them and we embrace them without even realizing it sometimes uh, because they give our lives meaning. Uh, But this suffering is playing out on this stage, and the backdrop behind that to me is faith. And I'm not talking about faith in God, faith in the universe. I'm using a pretty broad brush, uh, as I should, given that I'm describing it as a backdrop. But to me, it is very much a not a test of faith, but simply the process of faith. Because to me, faith isn't thinking that everything is going to work out in the happiest possible way. It's not thinking that everything's going to work out in what you think is the best possible outcome, the utopian outcome. To me, faith is recognizing that the worst possible outcome, to you, to whoever else, the worst possible outcome could play out, and accepting it anyway. That, to me, is what faith is. It's not leaving it all up to God, although all these things are a part of it, and I feel like all of these different ways that people express it are in harmony with each other, and in some cases they fit into each other. But for me, faith in this situation is recognizing that the worst possible thing could play out, and you don't want to do anything to contribute to it. You don't want to do anything to aid it. But you also don't want to feel guilty. You don't want to feel like you are somehow contributing when you're doing your best. Because, you know, I I heard it put recently, you know, where you don't want to do something because you feel guilty. You want to do it because you're coming from a place of love. It's out of love of something. And it could be a big, broad idea of of what love is, or it could be very specific to a certain person. It could be as general or as specific as you want or need it to be, but doing something out of love rather than guilt, rather than feeling like you're forced to. Uh, And I would say it's the same thing with this sort of situation, because I already feel guilty. I mean, I've gone out in the world since getting sick. Uh, You know, I've had to go to the grocery store. I've, I've seen one or two people I know. And uh, I I already have this guilt. You know, I had to go have a bank meeting to close out a bank account of my mom's. And, you know, it's something I've really needed to do. And I'm I'm at the bank today and I I started to feel like, "Ah, I don't feel 100%. 
I feel like I'm slip. My health is slipping again a little bit. It's like, should I be here? Should I, should I walk out? It almost seems like I'd be panicking, you know, but it's like, I also can't completely, I can't just assume right at this moment that I'm going to like spread some bug around to people. Uh, but you can see where the guilt already works its way in, uh, you know, immediately when this is going on, you feel slightly under the weather when there's a pandemic going on and the safe thing to do is stay home. Sure. And that's what I plan on doing. But it's like you catch yourself having to do something and you just think, oh, am I going to be the person who gives this to another person, who gives it to another person? And, and I mean, you can think of a pandemic in a lot of ways. And it, pandemics aren't just disease. You know, it, it's cheesy to say, but it, it truly does work. The, the concept of a pandemic does work in all of these positive, constructive ways, too, where if you're nice to the cashier at the grocery store, you know, that may impact them. They may be nicer to the next customer they see. They may go home and be nicer to their family. It could create somewhat of a chain reaction. Or even if it just impacts that one person, even if you're nice to one person or you do something nice to one person, uh, and I don't say this as someone who does nice things all the time, but I'm just, I'm aware of this. I try to, I try to remember this, e even just in terms of pure attitude, even if you're not, you know, buying somebody a Lamborghini. Uh, I don't feel like I can really do accents today, unfortunately, but, uh, I got one Lamborghini in there. Got one Lamborghini. I need two. Uh, but, uh, it's one of those things where you, you don't have to buy somebody a Lamborghini. You don't have to be Oprah to the cashier of the grocery store you go to, but, you know, just being kind to them, taking the time to be kind, you know, could impact them alone, and that is enough. It's one of those things where sometimes when people think about wanting to help people, they think they want to help a lot of people. They want an audience. They want to be on stage and telling a lot of people, you know, how to better their lives, or they want to extend a helping hand to many different people. And, you know, when that comes from a pure place, it's very noble. Uh, but the reality is, is it's an incredible thing to even impact one person. And in the same way that a pandemic, you know, spreads from person to person, and that can in turn, you know, spread, uh, constructive and good things work the same way too. You just can't measure them quite as easily. I think you can measure them. I think you can observe them, but I don't think you can, you know, it's not a virus that you can test for or that has obvious symptoms. Uh, although these things do have their own symptoms too. Positivity and goodness have symptoms as well. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to constantly watch them and observe them. And, you know, I've got my binoculars. I'm looking for the symptoms of goodness out in the world. It's just a matter of not um, knowing they're there is enough. You don't have to document them. But knowing they're there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so with this whole thing going on, it's very easy to operate from a place of guilt. But I don't feel that that's helpful. I don't feel like it's helpful to feel guilty. Even if you were to spread a bug to somebody and it was an older person and it hurt them, uh, you know, even then it's like how guilty should you feel? You know, maybe if you're out in the world and you're taking no precautions, that's a, a different story. But even then, your motivation to take precautions shouldn't be the potential guilt you would feel 
if you were to pass a bug on to somebody. Um, but that idea of faith, you know, the, the idea of faith in all this, I feel, is important because I have been having an anxiety attack today because I have felt scared. And I haven't felt very scared for a while. And I keep thinking, too, I was like, oh, you know, I just lost my mom. I, I watched my mom die of a very rare illness. And in some ways, that's armor. Because the person that I care about more than anybody already died. And in a weird way, that's a relief. Because I don't have to worry about her dying of the coronavirus. And that crossed my mind, too, a number of times. Where I was like, I am, in a weird way, as much as I would love to have my mom back in a weird way, and maybe it's not so weird, I feel relieved that I don't have to worry about my senior citizen mom going out in the world and getting this dangerous virus that may or may not hit my area. And it already hit my hometown, and that's a weird thing. My hometown, Kirkland, is in the news because it's apparently the epicenter of coronavirus in this state. So that's another weird, surreal thing. You know, I was talking about the Rip Van Winkle effect of my cold, you know, a week, week and a half ago, and like coming out of this fog, and my dad sends me a text message, and it's like, Kirkland's the epicenter. There's this new, you know, super virus spreading across the... My, he just mentioned the epicenter. He didn't say anything about a super virus, but just that the news is about this super virus, text message from my dad about my hometown. Just odd. You know, it's odd the way these things kind of fold together. Uh, but, you know, the, the key is to try to unfold yourself, you know, uh, and I don't know how you do that with, without having some sense of faith. And as I said earlier, faith is, you know, fairly open in terms of the definition. You know, someone hears faith and they automatically assume that you are praying to a very specific humanoid God and I am not opposed to that idea, but I'm not using that as my basis for faith. You know, I my understanding of faith is different from, you know, what somebody else might have, but I feel like it does work in similar ways. As I said, I think everybody's idea of faith, if they truly believe it, is in harmony with everybody else's idea of faith. And they can fit together like a Russian nesting doll. And your faith could be at the very bottom. It could be the tiniest nesting doll, or it could be the largest one, and it could go back and forth maybe. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get too out there with that. Faith, faith within faith. Every faith fits into every other faith. Um, because I think it all comes down to one central concept, one total idea, and that is the idea of wholeness that I've talked about. You know, my idea of faith is very much that wholeness, and that wholeness includes the bad along with the good. And in that wholeness, you will see bad things play out. You will see suffering. You will see fear. You will experience pain. And that is part of that wholeness. That is part of the totality of life. And faith is a way of understanding that those things are all components of this larger whole or total thing but they aren't the they aren't all of it you know in the same way that the good things aren't all of it but the good things are still there you know creation life 
growth. Those things are still there, but they're not alone. And I think that's what it comes down to. That's what the idea of this wholeness comes down to, is that the good is there, and it's not alone. The bad is also there, but the bad is not alone either. And faith is understanding that, maybe not understanding, but accepting that one might outweigh the other at any given time, or it might seem that way. But it's understanding that that's okay too, because it's part of, it's part of a much larger, longer process that you may not see the total picture of. You might feel it in the same way that part of this faith that I'm talking about is feeling that wholeness, feeling that totality of existence, recognizing it. In the same way that you will, you know, you might be able to feel not in the same way, but you might be able to feel it, but you can't necessarily see it. You don't necessarily have a view of the entire process unfolding. You just have to accept that that's the process. That's the process of wholeness. Um, so in a situation like this where there's this pandemic, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, I have joked about it, you know, last week, especially when I was, you know, had my cold. I was joking about it a little bit. I talked to a friend. I was joking about everything that's going on. Uh, today, I was too anxious to joke about it. Today, I was too freaked out, you know, because I was thinking about, even though I've already lost the person who I would be worried most about right now, and a part of me doesn't fear my own sickness or my own death, not at this moment. I don't, I don't invite those things. I don't invite sickness. I don't invite death. But a part of me has to be accepting of that. A part of me has to be accepting of that potential fate. And last week I was thinking, you know, I don't have anything to worry about. You know, I've got certain life priorities I have to deal with, but it's like my mom's already passed. I'm not terribly worried about my own fate because I'm just steering my ship as the best way that I can. And I'm concerned about other family members, of course. It's not that I don't care about anybody else. But, you know, today I'm thinking, you know, I know people who are susceptible. I know people who have, you know, immune disorders. I know people who are older. Everybody does. That's the thing about this is everybody knows somebody who could be hit very hard by this. And... It goes into the idea of trauma, too, because I think that this is what's going on right now is a traumatic event. Even if for some reason, you know, the bug never reaches your town or anything, you know, what's going on, the level of fear is a traumatic event in and of itself. It's having a traumatic effect on people. And trauma is interesting because when you are an active participant, in something traumatic, and this isn't my own opinion, this is something that has been shown in studies, where if someone's an active participant in a traumatic event, they are far less likely to develop long-term PTSD than if they were a, a passive participant. And the example that I've heard is uh, combat, where combat veterans are far more likely to experience PTSD if, say, they were stationed at a base and the base was attacked Whereas someone who's out on a, on a some sort of scouting mission, somebody who's out, you know, with some sort of uh, someone who's gone, their their squad has gone onto enemy lines. They have some sort of aggressive mission to accomplish, and they could get into a firefight. And those guys are far less likely to experience long term PTSD because they had a certain amount of control over their situation, and so control has a large role in trauma. 
And one of the reasons I think what's going on right now is so immediately traumatic to people is the fact that people don't feel like they are in control. And just to go back to, you know, my mom dying, um, while it was difficult, I and I didn't have control over what was happening to her. And honestly, the most traumatic part of that was trying to get her to the hospital because she didn't want to go. And part of that was the infection affecting her brain and her judgment. Uh, it had already gotten to her into her bloodstream, so her judgment was very much affected. And so trying to convince her to go to the hospital was one of the most difficult aspects because I didn't feel like I had much control and I didn't know how much control I should try to force. But once it was out of my hands and I, I knew what I was in control of, I knew how much control, I knew I had control over everything that, that I could do in that situation. You know, I had full control over myself and, and while I couldn't control everything that I was feeling, I did have a, a certain amount of control over myself and how I dealt with things that were playing out in front of me. Whereas something like this, where it's far less intimate, it's something that's playing out on a global scale and we don't know when it's coming. I mean, not to make a comparison because I don't have experience, uh, but it's not unlike a soldier guarding a base who anticipates some kind of attack from the enemy and they know it's going to come. They know that an attack of some kind is going to come, but they don't know exactly from where, and they don't know exactly when. So I feel like this sort of thing, this sort of global pandemic, it's very similar, where you're guarding your base, and something has the potential, this thing, this enemy, has the potential to come in and impact your life. It could have the impact, it could hurt you, it could hurt people around you could just scare you. You could be very lucky. But at the same time, you're anticipating it. You're sitting there and you don't know which direction it's going to come from. And in many ways, your body is that base. You know, I think it's actually a pretty good analogy because your body is very much that base that you are guarding and your home. Beyond that, your home. Uh, you know, I did an episode not that long ago about how your home is an extension in the same way that, you know, your soul inhabits your body, your body then inhabits your home, and your home becomes an extension of your body. We have these things that become part of us. Uh, and so you're in, in many ways, you're anticipating this attack. And uh, that itself tells you enough, you know, based on the trauma studies that have been done where people guarding a base and who are attacked are far more likely to have some sort of PTSD than somebody who's out there engaging. And in this situation, there's not really a way to engage because you're not going to go out and seek the bug. You're not going to, it's not like chicken pox when you're in preschool where, you know, a neighbor kid gets chicken pox. So all the parents bring the kid over, they bring their kids over to get chicken pox so they get it out of the way early. Uh, that proactive approach to disease where it's better to get something like that early and have it in your control. Uh, I assume other people know what I'm talking about with this chicken pox thing. I don't know if that was done to me, but I remember it going on where kids with chicken pox would be put together so they would all have it at the same time. Uh, but it, you can't really do that with this, especially with something that is this potentially dangerous, because it gets into that guilt thing again, where you could spread it to somebody else. 
somebody who's more susceptible, who has a, a weaker immune system, you know, and, and that's been my concern, you know, I, I had a cold, and I, I went out and about as soon as I thought I was better, and, but my immune system was no doubt weakened, and now that I'm feeling a little bit sick again, I'm like, God, you know, I went out into the world with a weakened immune system, and did I pick something else up? Did I push myself too hard, and just, I have the same bug, and it didn't go away? I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is I'm not interested in talking too much about the fact that I'm sick right now, despite the fact that I opened the episode talking about it. Um, uh, but there is that feeling. I think one of the reasons why I have anxiety right now is I don't feel like I can control what's going on. And not that I'm a control freak. I think, if anything, I've become far more willing to let go and let things play out because I do have that sense of faith. And... It's not a test, though. I mean, I think you hear... When difficult situations come up, when, when struggles happen, trials, I think it's easy to say, oh, it's a test of your faith. But I think that's... It's not so much a test as much as it is an intrinsic part of faith. And maybe I'm just splitting hairs. Maybe I'm just, you know going into details I don't need to go into, but I do see these sorts of events as an intrinsic aspect of faith and not just a test of faith. I don't think faith is disconnected from what's going on. I don't think faith is disconnected from the way that I'm experiencing the world at any given time. And, you know, I think one of the accusations people have against, say, Christians who rely on their faith... Uh, is that they don't actually do anything. They pray or they send, you know, good thoughts. You see a lot of mockery around that online these days where it's like, oh, are you going to send the victims your prayers and thoughts and that kind of thing? And I know where people are coming from when they mock that, but I, it's, it's off base. Uh, but, you know, it, there's this idea, though, that by... Focusing on faith, you're somehow trying to remove yourself from the immediacy of a situation. And for me, it's the complete opposite, where when you really, you let faith remind you of that wholeness of existence, and not just among humans, not just the idea that all human beings are one, but just the idea of everything that is playing out is interrelated. Everything that is playing out right now in the world has a relationship to something else, and those relationships form a very closely, um, a, a very tight system of, of lattice work. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you know, th there is this lattice, and, and everything is, is much closer together than you realize, and it's closer together because it's one. You know, when something is one, the components of that could be across the world from each other, but they're still part of the thing. The thing that isn't, things that are, you know, microscopic are a reminder of that. The virus itself is part of us. The virus itself is part of that wholeness. And that's what I mean when I say the bad is there along with the good. And whether it's a balance or not, I don't know. I mean, people love the yin-yang symbol. And the yin-yang symbol is an illustration of that wholeness, where the black and the white are both part of the same circle. And a little bit of black is in the white, and a little bit of white is in the black. But uh, I don't know how much, I don't know how I feel about yin-yang symbols, honestly. But 
it is the same idea. And the yin-yang symbol, I think the reason why it's so attractive to people is because it shows such an obvious balance. Whereas with my idea of this wholeness that you have to, I don't want to say trust in, but just acknowledge. But in this idea of wholeness, I don't want to assume there's a balance. I don't want to assume for every supposed negative there's an equal-sized positive. I don't want to assume that because I don't know, because you can't measure it. And I think that's the idea behind it, is that these things are immeasurable, and they blend into each other. Because good can come out of this. Good can come out of the coronavirus. And good often comes from difficult circumstances. And so much of what we call human progress comes from insane levels of difficulty. Because if things aren't difficult, they never change. And there's people who think that things shouldn't change. You know, that's one of the things we fear is change. Uh, it's something that I feared my entire life. And uh, I, with that, though, like with that fear of change, though, I don't know, I, I would say that takes a level of faith in and of itself. I, w- I would say it takes a different form of faith. You know, if things stagnated, what would the outcome be? When things stagnate, can you say that they, they stay better? I mean, there's things that I think we should halt. You know, sometimes I, I get kind of bugged by the rate of technological progress, and I think we should just sit still for a little while. You know, I think I talked about on here one time, you know, can't we just do nothing for a year? Just do nothing for a year. But in that stagnation, what would happen? First of all, it would take a level of faith to think that things would stay exactly the way we are if we stopped innovating, if we stopped messing with things. It would take a level of faith to believe that us simply stopping doing what we're doing would itself uh, stop all change because I don't think it would stop change. People would still grow older, uh, things would still deteriorate, things would still grow. You know, change would still happen even if we decided to stop doing everything. So, because of that, you have to take control. You have to take control of things and affect change in the way that you want it to develop and play out. And in that way, you know, something like coronavirus could very well have positive impacts in the immediate future, down the line. Uh, It could have impacts. I mean, it's already impacted human consciousness. You know, it's already impacted the way that people perceive the world around them. Because I had the experience today of just driving down the street. There's cars out there. There's people doing things. But to think that there's an invisible thing that we don't know, you know, we can't see it, we can't identify it driving down the street, but there is this invisible thing that is affecting every single one of us, and every single one of us who is out in the world right now is very aware of this invisible thing, and I guess it's not technically invisible, but if we can't see it as we go about our day, it might as well be, it might as well be uh, invisible. And so that itself is a consciousness shift. That itself changes the entire way we view our backyard, out our window, you know, it changes the way we see and do everything, at least for right now. And 
the key to that, though, is to use that change in consciousness, not just to let yourself be changed, not just to let yourself be paranoid, but to try to guide that shift, try to guide that thing that has impacted you. And you may not be able to control it outright, but I think you can guide it. And in feeling not panic, but certainly a heightened level of anxiety, partly because I'm feeling sick again, partly because I'm worried about other people, uh, in feeling that, my, my thought right now is just, I have to guide this. And it's difficult because it's not something that I alone am experiencing and I alone have you know, controlling myself in this situation is going to be helpful. Controlling yourself in a situation that is affecting everybody is going to be helpful, but you alone don't have a direct relationship to the the circumstances that are playing out. And when my mom was dying, I had control over myself as much as I possibly could in that situation. And I had a certain amount of control over her. You know, I had to make the decision to pull the plug. I had to make some very difficult decisions. But I still, you know, I was an active participant. And where we are now with this pandemic is we're, we're active participants, but only if we wash our hands, and I, I heard something interesting where someone was saying that that isn't actually going to stop this thing, but they tell us that. They tell us to be more diligent in washing our hands because it helps people mentally. It helps people control themselves better because they feel like they are doing something. And I could be wrong about that. And it's a good idea to wash your hands anyway. Uh, but it is interesting how that itself is a way to help people kind of guide their own consciousness. Oh, I'm washing my hands. I'm going to be less fearful now. Oh, I can, I have that fresh scent of, you know, gas station bathroom soap on my hands. I'm protected for a minute. I'm protected for a minute or I'm helping other people, you know, by washing my hands, I'm helping other people. And whether or not that has a true impact on something that could be passed through your own breath, through someone else's breath, breath as I breathe on the mic. Turns out, you know, if you breathe onto the mic and someone hears it, they can hear that just the breath hitting the microphone. It turns out it doesn't get transmitted through that. Uh, but uh, someday, someday we'll get there. Technology, that'll be a whole other issue. Because I had that thought. I was like, oh yeah, you, you can't get sick through the internet. You can get mentally sick. You know, speaking of consciousness, the internet can get you mentally very sick. And that, I guess, indirectly can make you physically sick because they say things like stress and you know negative thoughts can make you physically ill. But it turns out you can't actually get the coronavirus through the Internet. I think that's one thing we do know about this. And uh, this will go down as my coronavirus episode. It, it was uh, 10 years from now when those alien virgin monks in their UFO intercept my podcast RSS feed and decide to see what one little human was thinking about. They're going to listen to this and be like, oh, I don't want to listen to this one. It's topical. It's, it's about the coronavirus. And I like how, you know, I used to talk about the alien virgin monks, how that was my ideal audience, how someday these alien virgin monks are going to intercept my podcast. And it used to be like 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now. I don't know what I used to say, but I like how now it's 10 years. <laughs> I like how now in 10 years they're going to be listening to this. 
and they're going to just be like, it, it'll be like listening to, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know. I was going to make a sitcom comparison. I was going to say, it's like Archie Bunker talking about, you know, uh, uh, the JFK shooting, which I don't even know if he did. I don't know if Archie Bunker ever talked about the JFK shooting. I'm just trying to find an example of a sitcom that used a current event and instantly dated itself. But some current events don't actually date the material. Like the JFK shooting is not a good example because it doesn't seem that dated. It was such a major event and has continued to be relevant, both because the presidency is, is ever relevant and also because... Uh, because, uh, 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 but no, but JFK is relevant, both because the presidency is always relevant, because assassination is so rare, and because there's been this enduring conspiracy theory surrounding it. So something like JFK is an example of a current event that kind of survives. It's kind of always current. Maybe it always will be. Uh, and coronavirus ha- certainly has the potential of being that. So maybe this isn't a current event episode. Maybe this is going to be a very big topic that people continue to talk about. Uh, It certainly looks that way. Hence all of the anxiety. Hence all of the hysteria. And the word hysteria, I should look that up. Because I don't know that it's relevant. It seemed relevant a week ago. I don't know that it's relevant now. Because hysteria, maybe it's one of those words that does have a very practical use. It simply describes somebody who is, their emotions are out of control. Maybe it's not just a pejorative, but you tend to hear it used pejoratively where it's like, oh, they're hysterical, meaning they're somehow behaving in a way that they shouldn't or that is over the top. But these are just some thoughts I have going right now. I'm not going to do this too many minutes longer because I am under the weather. And if I keep going, I'm going to say Lamborghini again. And that's not good for my voice. Not because I'm doing a half-assed accent, but because I just shouldn't be saying the word Lamborghini. I just shouldn't be saying the word Lamborghini at a time like this. How can you think about luxury cars at a time like this? That's a good thing to think about. In the same way that uh, little boys, when I was growing up at least, would have posters of just cars of a poster of a Lamborghini, a poster of some uh, special Porsche, some limited edition Porsche. Maybe that's a good way to get through this. Order some uh, posters of Lamborghinis, put them up on your walls, think about driving them, but don't drive them. Uh, But uh, it's it's an interesting time. Uh, And uh, it's... A time to remember the wholeness of experience, the wholeness of life, and having faith in that wholeness, having faith in that total process. And I understand that might not be helpful. I understand saying that might not help you immediately. But looking at the bigger picture and seeing everything as one core process that is constantly unfolding. It's been unfolding long before you were around and it will continue to unfold long after you were around. And seeing it as that, as some much larger process beyond you, to me that is helpful. And it's not helpful in a in the sense that 
it gives me peace of mind. It's helpful because I think it's true. It's helpful because it's been written about for eons. There's scripture based on this. And that scripture was written in much more difficult times. In times where pestilence was constant. Where war was at your doorstep. And that's a good reminder, too, to remember that there are people who live that way now. You know, we're worried about this pestilence. We're worried about what could come out of this, what could happen to us individually, as a whole, as a collective human species. We're, we are worried. Um, but there are people in parts of the world who, you know, regularly live in anticipation of disease, widespread disease. They regularly have to reconcile with the reality of suffering. And again, I think you have to see suffering as one thing that is playing out on stage. And the stage might be filled with characters who are suffering. You know, the, the stage itself might be literally covered in actors who are writhing and suffering. There might be events playing out on that stage that make you think the only thing going on is suffering. But you have to remember that the backdrop is faith. The backdrop is some sort of wholeness that encompasses everything that is on that stage. And that stage, the events, the individuals that are playing out, that are suffering, they are not the whole thing. They are part of it. And so you can't disclude them, and you should be aware of them, but you can't think that is the whole illustration. You can't think that is the whole show. But uh, you have to remember that that backdrop is there. That backdrop is there, and it's what ties everything together. And as long as that backdrop's there, other events can play out on that stage. And that is what, that, that's, that's where, you know, the faith kicks in, is understanding that the worst things might play out, and that's okay. But if the worst things play out, there's just as strong of a likelihood that the best things can play out too, or that great things can come from terrible things. And we all know terrible things can come from great things. Uh, you know, we're back to the yin-yang symbol. You know, we know there's a little black dot on the white side, and we know there's a little white dot on the black side. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not a yin-yang guy, but it's hard to deny. And that'd be a good lyric. I'm not a yin-yang guy, but it's hard to deny. If I ever do rap music, that's, that's the good that's going to come out of all this. I'm going to start doing rap music. When all's said and done, you know, this whole coronavirus, it just woke me up to my, my true calling. I never made that rap album. You know, God forbid, you know, God forbid when I'm on my deathbed that, you know, I, I'm thinking about that rap album that I never recorded. So good can come out of this. You can have a, a poster of a Lamborghini on your wall and you can record a rap album you can take some initiative, but what those things require is faith.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can